Talk the, the Thrones. Thrones. The Ringer's instant reaction show for all things Ice and Fire is back. Now as a pod. To cover the new Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon. Every Sunday night, the Ringer verse Chris Ryan, that's me. Joanna Robinson. And I, Mallory Rubin, will be breaking down the latest episode. Sharing our thoughts on all the schemes and plots. Uh, schemes and plots are the same thing. Dragons. And incest. Hey, it's a Game of Thrones show. So boot up your favorite podcast player and head to the dragon pit. Because fire and pods will reign. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. We're back. Mainly Amanda's back. Amanda, a mother of a child of six months. How are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to see you. I'm I'm also, I'm great being a mom. That was, he's great. We're, everyone's, everyone's healthy and happy. And I had a lovely time and I'm very grateful to have had the time with him. And now I'm extremely grateful to be back here with you to see your shining face via Zoom and to discuss the events of the last 48 hours in Venice. I really feel that my return from leave could not be more perfectly timed. And we timed the recording of this podcast perfectly because 16 minutes ago, Chris Pine's representative said definitively, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. And that's what I think you really want to talk about, Amanda. The All the shenanigans from the Don't Worry Darling premiere at the Venice Film Festival. And last night around, I don't know, 10 Eastern, this is on Monday night, Labor Day, a video from the um, ovation. More on that uh, started circulating and people started thinking that Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine as he mm-hmm. was taking his bow for the audience. And uh, things just really curtailed. I mean, I have a lot of conspiracy theories about this, or just one mainly, but I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on where you stand with uh, the meaning of this story. What is going on? Number one, <laughs> just what what is going on? You uh, have covered the absolutely disastrous uh, press tour for Don't Worry Darling in great detail already on Ringer Dish with Matt Bellany. Check it out. And 
Yeah. And I would say the first two parts of it, which involved the Olivia Wilde interviews and uh, then the Shia LaBeouf rebuttal of sorts were pretty ugly just in general. And, you know, they, I have a lot of questions about how people in Hollywood communicate, communicate via video text message, (laughs) but you know, beyond that kind of gross, no real winners. Nobody comes out looking great in my opinion. Um, but it wasn't totally fun. And with the arrival of Florence Pugh in Venice Mm -hmm. and the, the premiere and the video events, this is just turned absurd and funny again because totally. it's the back stakes, to being fun. Yeah, the stakes of the premiere are do Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh hate each other, which okay, I sure. Think, I think we if, can conclude they do. They do. And if you want to express some concern about pitting women against each other, blah, 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 narratives, yada, yada. Like, sure, whatever. But also, it just seems like they really don't like each other and that Florence Pugh has been leaning into that in the way that she has been conducting herself at Venice and opting not to promote this film that she's the star of in any way, shape, or form beyond uh, showing up at the same time as the press conference she did not attend with an Aperol spritz in her hand. So uh, no notes, by the way, on that. Congratulations. <laughs> I really her. liked her, her arrival outfit. Um, it was like, a I couldn't really see all of it. But it was like a bandeau top, high waisted mm-hmm. shorts, and then an oversized shirt on yeah. top. And I thought she looked phenomenal and like totally appropriate and like seasonally, geographically, uh, socially, her affluence wise, she looked fantastic. Florence Pugh is taking a no pants approach to Venice, uh, <laughs> you know, and I mean that in the most complimentary and envious way. She looks great. I don't like wearing pants either. And if you can get away with not wearing them in any setting, I think it's great. You just got to so, go with it. Yeah. So then at the actual premiere, there was video of the of Florence Pugh just really declining to acknowledge Olivia wild in any way shape or form when they when they're in the theater and they're all standing together her back is basically to olivia wilde at all times and olivia wilde's like looking over at her i you know i'm really not pro olivia wilde but i will give her credit for doing her best this past weekend i feel like she got the memo of like i need to act professional and have like a like a uh, a perfect performance and i i think she came pretty close like i think that this has been the only only positive of this press tour for Olivia Wilde, honestly. Um, so shout out to her. But yeah, I mean, the the just the row of them twice, both on the red carpet and then the theater, just gave so much fodder for us to dig into. And I again, I just I think it's okay to be amused by this. I think it's of two course. people who who worked together and it didn't go well, and now they're expressing that and it's okay to not like someone. It's okay. Totally. It's okay. I think, you know, a lot of the invective directed at Olivia Wilde seems to be tied up in sort of some Harry Styles Stan culture online Johnny Depp grossness that is like, I'm not endorsing in any way, shape or form. That's why Matt Matt and I really focused when we spoke on Friday about like her role as a director and like why you know, the relationship itself is like kind of separate, but I, I totally agree with you. Like I was 
I think my biggest critique of Olivia Wilde has been like, if you're going to set yourself up as like a feminist director, then mm-hmm. you have to live that. And I, it's not fair. It's, you know, I, right. I, under, I recognize that male directors don't have that same responsibility. But if you're going to position yourself that way, then you have to see it through. And I just felt like she didn't with the un, unforced errors of the Variety interview. Right. And well, specifically with regards to her relationship with Florence Pugh, and that point you're making the the aforementioned video of uh, Olivia Wilde seeming to try to convince Shia LaBeouf to stay on the project and using the... After she's ridden her horse? Uh, Yes. (laughs) And and using the now famous uh, moniker Miss Flo. Miss Flo. Right. Uh, And whatever that indicates about what was going on with Olivia Wilde and Shia LaBeouf and whatever Shia LaBeouf's motivations in releasing that, which I think should probably be examined... Put that aside, it does seem to indicate that Olivia Wilde as a director is not really supporting Florence Pugh as her actor. Uh, And I think that the Don't Worry Darling puts Florence Pugh in just some, a lot of sex scenes, basically, which can be a vulnerable position to be in. And if you don't have the support of your director and you're not creating like a fantastic, comfortable working environment, then it seems like a valid reason to not like someone very much. Totally. And for those of us critical of Olivia Wilde, she positioned herself as the protector on set. So right. it was just like so, so hypocritical. But let's get to the spitting. Because yeah. so anyway, <laughs> all that aside, it seems they they do seem to be performing that they don't like each other. Yeah. And then which I side note, I would like to normalize not liking people. You like yes. I don't we don't have to be so nice all the time. You could not like people and like both have valid reasons and just agree to disagree. So I I'm I'm delighted by this. I hate when I hate people who just like everyone. I'm just like, why? That's not possible. <laughs> One thing I wanted to bring to this podcast, which is related to that, is normalizing the idea of finding someone annoying. Yes. Just totally. being irritated. And that doesn't mean that that person doesn't have value or that you wish that person ill or, you know, it's just like sometimes people are annoying. Okay. And I, I still want everyone, wish everyone health and happiness, but like not for me. So I agree with you. Fast forward to part two of the premiere and the footage, which is um, footage of Harry Styles sitting down. And he's sitting down next to Chris Pine because everyone is, here's this seating lineup if you somehow have not seen this footage. On the aisle is Olivia Wilde. Next to her is Chris Pine. Then there's Harry Styles. Then there's Gemma Chan, who's doing her best in all of this footage to just keep the peace. Bless her. Love Gemma Chan. She's the opposite for me. Inexplicably pleasant. Yeah. And then there's Florence Pugh's. And then to the right of Florence Pugh's Nick Kroll, who I was not aware was in this film until uh, this footage. (laughs) So So it's working. (laughs) I mean, the marketing, we can talk about whether the marketing is working, but Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh are pretty much as separated as they can be. And also notably, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are separated, presumably to try to distract some of the attention from their ongoing relationship, which started on the set of Don't Worry, Darling. They don't even acknowledge each other in most of these um, photo calls. They're not given anything. And I think that was a good move, and I appreciate it. Right. So Chris Pine is put between them at the premiere, as he was during the press conference, where he's achieved a really transcendent state of disengagement um, as other weird things happen at the press conference. It's like Brad Pitt level. It's like, is this man stoned? He might be. He just is like living his best life with long blonde hair. Amanda, what's he shooting right now? 
I don't know. I asked Sean the same thing on the big picture because obviously we talked about this as well. This is really a nexus of interest for me. I don't know whether it's for a movie or whether he's just kind of expressing himself. I was going to compare it to sad Ben Affleck because he does look a little distressed to be in the situation. I think he seems high. Um, Okay. I also wonder if his hair, long hair is covering uh, hair plugs, which I would also support. So sometimes like that's the Tom Brady where you let it grow out long so the short stuff can blend in. Okay. That's a great theory. I want to... say that I think he looks great. I appreciate he's going for a look and otherwise trying to not engage in what's going on around him, which is, I think, a great strategy and was working well for him until Harry Styles sat next to him. And as Harry Styles sat down, he pursed his lips and did something that some people on the internet have read as spitting on Chris Pine. And then, crucially, Juliet, and this is what I would like to come back to, Chris Pine reacts. Chris Pine reacts, he, he does. He yes. reacts to something. So if Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine, then what happened and what is Chris Pine reacting to? I think Harry Styles did a fake spit. I think there's a joke in there that we're not privy to and they're trying to entertain themselves. Harry Styles is a jokester. He's not just like a serious actor. The man <laughs> likes a prank. The man likes to joke around. I'm sure he... I feel like also everyone likes Harry Styles, maybe except for Florence Pugh. So like everyone on the planet except for Florence mm-hmm. Pugh. So I feel like there's like some context there that we don't have, but I'm just going to read in the name of journalism, Chris Pine's representative's statement. This is great. This is breaking news to me. So <laughs> this is very exciting. This is a ridiculous story, a complete fabrication fabrication, and a result of an odd online illusion that is clearly deceiving and allows for foolish speculation. Just to be clear, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. There is nothing but respect between these two men and any suggestion otherwise is a blatant attempt to create drama that simply doesn't exist. So, Amanda... I'll tell you what, it sounds like Chris Pine's publicist is a Harry Styles stan, but continue. <laughs> I watched the video many times. I'm I sure paused, you did. I paused it. I watched it in slow-mo. I don't see any fluid leaving the mouth of Harry Styles. I do not think he spit on Chris Pine. I do think this is some kind of joke that we weren't privy to. And also like Chris Pine's an actor. What, what do you, what's the first rule of acting? You just, you pick up what you're given. So he just went with it. Like this man's a professional. You think this is a yes and situation? I think it's a yes and. I think they're bored. I think they're not allowed to have fun. (laughs) And I think that's it. I don't know. I, my other note is that Harry Styles is very savvy. And we have not spent much of today talking about either the pretty bad reviews mm-hmm. nor yeah. the fight no, this is true. between uh, Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. So I would say this is a really successful pivot. I mean, this is like all that anyone has wanted to talk about for the last 18 hours where we spent the last three weeks talking about this fight between two women. So I think this is uh, intentional. I think that that's a great point. And I'm willing to buy into the idea that Harry Styles intentionally did something in order to distract from everything else going on, including the reviews of his own performance in Don't Worry, Darling, which Which are are not positive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have not seen this film yet. I... I wonder if Warner Brothers will ever allow me to see it. I would like wonder whether I will be, you know, blocked from even buying a ticket to it when it's released in theaters. Um, but the reviews are not good. No one, the, the film is not good. Apparently Harry Styles is not great in it. So I could see, and it, it does seem like at least some of the energy around this movie has become self-aware. 
And Florence Pugh is certainly like playing into all of the rumors and gossip and drama. And I think it would be savvy of people uh, associated with the movie to lean into it because otherwise all you have is like a bad movie. Yeah. But Here's... Chris but Chris Pine looks pissed. That's the only thing that I have to say. Chris Pine looks pissed. So if it's not spitting, what is it? What's going on? I think he's intoxicated. Okay. All that's right. That's my take. My per- that's and, my take on and it. And he's just like, what is this? And he's just stoned and thus yeah. Or, yeah. Like, doesn't get the joke. Or I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like Harry Styles. But I just think that like, I, I think yeah. he's real collateral damage. I have one other piece of evidence I'd like to bring. Okay. Which is that in red carpet photos preceding this incident, the alliances within the Don't Worry cast were made clear to me. And there are some very sweet, I think, viral photos of Chris Pine on the red carpet with a disposable camera taking pictures of Florence Pugh. And Florence Pugh is kind of vamping for the camera. And they clearly have a good bond and like each other. And Chris Pine, who has otherwise seemed remote throughout the Venice proceedings, as you have noted, uh, is having a great time. And so it's very clear that Chris Pine and Florence Pugh like each other. And I'm getting a little bit of like a, can you believe that we're here dealing with this nonsense vibe between the two of them? I'd like to extend something a little bit further. This is totally unfounded, but I just want to throw this out there. Another part of the Chris Pine red carpet presence was kissing Nick Kroll. Mm -hmm. And Nick Kroll is deeply embedded in the Hollywood comedian in crowd, as Mm -hmm. is Jason Sudeikis. So... Mm. Mm. I wonder if there's a whole um, picking of sides along those lines as well. I will say that I read some specious and frankly kind of annoying rumors that um, tried to explain the Olivia Wilde-Florence Pugh feud as Florence Pugh was formerly dating Zach Braff, who was friends with Jason Stakus, which number one, I don't even know if that's true. And number Nor two, why do, why do they, why did, two romantic partners have to define what's going on between these people. I find that like a little bit annoying, but agreed. It, it is possible that Florence Pugh like knows Chris, Pine, you know, knows these people and has a more comfortable relationship that she does than, than she does with Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles. The other like scuttlebutt that has come out of the production set is that Florence Pugh is frustrated by what, uh, by like the unprofessional nature of Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles on set, which, you know. That seems to be the genesis of of this. And I think you could also read a lot of other things into that just based on like celebrity behavior, but let's not because we don't want to, we don't want to play into that. But I I just want to share my least favorite part of this that came out Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. which is Florence Pugh's stylist and Olivia Wilde's stylist both posted. um, Oh, this is funny. You don't like this? No. I don't need to hear. I think this is hilarious. Don't need to hear from these people. They both posted slideshows to their respective um, Instagrams. And as a celebrity stylist, your Instagram is like your personal billboard more so Mm -hmm. than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And Florence Pugh's is named Rebecca Corbin Murray, which is a wonderful name. And she posted a slideshow of her in her many pantsless looks. Um, Or it's really the one look but it, it, she had some of the other ones too. Uh, and the caption is Miss Flo playing into what Olivia Wilde said. And then Carla Welch, who is, um, she came to, she came to prominence for me as busy Phillips stylist, but now yeah. she is like just really everywhere. Um, 
she she posted that there's always more to the story or another side of the story for Olivia Wilde. So, I, I mean, I thought that was like a very annoying but funny use of Instagram. The, sure. the Miss Flo thing made me laugh. And I also think that doesn't happen without the permission of Florence Pugh agreed. herself. Yeah, so absolutely agreed. They're leaning into it. I think that's funny. And then that Carla Welch feels the need to respond in this way is hilarious to me. Like, I just, I, I think it's all petty in, and that part of it is all petty in like a safe, funny way. You yeah. know, it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it's just people being silly. So I enjoy that. Here's my best theory. Okay. Florence Pugh and Chris Pine are extremely accomplished, decorated, uh, experienced actors. And they have been on a lot of sets and worked with a lot of great people. I don't remember and, my life before Chris Pine to that point. Like, I, I can't. He's been in it for so long. I don't remember when he entered. Right. So they kind of know how it works with the grownups. Mm-hmm. And I think that they if they didn't bond on set, then it certainly seems that they have now become friends during this never ending press commitment or, you know, scandal brouhaha. And are commiserating and like a, you know, can you believe this nonsense sort of way? Like, look at this, this JV stuff. And so the lines have been drawn, Chris Pine and Florence, and then Harry and Olivia. Right. And, you know, even at the press conference, like Chris Pine had to sit there listening to like a million questions of Harry Styles being like, I don't even like, I'm terrible at acting and all of this sort of nonsense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and. So there, there is opposition. And I think that what we witnessed, whether or not it was spitting, was a moment of conflict between these two individuals. Or dislike. How about that? Sure. Sure. I think that also, I really think that Harry Styles knew if he did anything, it would get him attention. So, yeah. Um, I also just wanted to note that I now recall via IMDb how Chris Pine entered my life and it was through the Princess Diaries too, which oh, yeah. was when I was in high school. So yes, he's been in my life for half of my life. So. Great chemistry with Anne. <laughs> also, he's been around a lot of like a lot of uh, young women or young actors at the beginning of their careers. And I just feel like he's sort of, he's really an established movie star. It's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Also, also I, sh- I assume... That he and Florence Pugh, both being in the superhero world, have like crossed paths that way too. Though I know Wonder Woman is a DC movie and not right. Marvel. But nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really know also so much of Florence Pugh's Marvelness happened during the, the pandemic. Chris Pine is so endearing as Wonder Woman. I really like it when a very charming leading man just agrees to be the He's great in that movie. The romantic object in and uh a woman-led vehicle. It's very fun. And he's the screwball energy in that movie is wonderful. I liked the first Star Trek a lot. I um, also just want to note, and I mentioned this to Matt last week, Florence Pugh, I feel like many of her movies have like lines drawn and that, that then are not completely addressed. And I referenced Emma Watson being on the outs with the entire cast of um, Little Women. And so this is, I don't, I'm not ready to call this a trend. I'm not ready to pin this on Florence Pugh, but I'm just, I'll be watching. Sure. I I have a lot of questions of, about what happened on the Black Widow set when mm. Scarlett Johansson realized that Florence Pugh was walking away with her movie, which she absolutely did. Um, Florence Pugh seems spicy. 
but yeah. in a way that I like. Totally. She seems like she should be friends with Harry Styles. So this is a shame. A friendship yeah. that should be. Amanda, I bet you covered mm-hmm. this in the big picture too, but I just need to ask you. Yeah. How do we eradicate this trend of measuring the length of standing ovation for films at the Venice Film Festival? I've never seen a dumber measure of success emerge and and mm-hmm. popularize so quickly. And I, yeah. I, I won't do this again next year. So how do we get okay. everyone else to agree to not do this? Oh, well, I think the first step is establishing our own boundaries. So I stand <laughs> with you. I mean, we feel the same way on the big pick. This is like the Rotten Tomatoes of film festivals. It's a completely meaningless, but like numerical indicator. And of nothing. With, a numerical indicator of, of, of nothing. nothing. But, of you stamina? know, the way the, the internet <laughs> and the world works... It's just people want to have a number, you know, they want to have some shorthand measurement. So apparently this is it. It's really stupid. Have you ever been a part of a longstanding ovation in your own life? Not like, have you ever received one? I I was going to be like, no, I don't know why I I didn't want to ask that. Okay. No, I've never received one. How long would you be comfortable with? Um, 75 seconds. I mean, not long. I mean, that's honestly like 45 seconds longer than I would be. But, um, have you, but have you ever been in the audience for a standing ovation? Yeah, I think like at a musical. Although at yeah. musicals now, it's like default. You stand up for the cast for their final bow, which is really stupid. But yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I've been to like some momentous like musical events. So there's that, I guess. I So I have been to the Metropolitan Opera in New York a few times, luckily, mm-hmm. which is a really great experience. But this is very common in the opera world. It's the same thing where you're expected to stand up the minute they come out and they go on and on and they do like encore, like the, you know, like the brava and the Mm -hmm. clapping forever is like built in. And so I've probably done like five to six minutes. Okay. And it's endless and I hate it. And it's so boring. And you've already sat through like a four hour opera respect to the, like the great art that is opera. But like, I just want to leave. This is going on forever. I don't understand it. So and what's everyone supposed to do? I mean, like Harry Styles, like was probably bored. He was like, well, I need to spit because I'm bored. Like I need some like, <laughs> entertainment. So <laughs> that would be great if that were the explanation. I just, so let me just bring it back to you. What you think it was an inside joke and you think Chris Pine is in on the joke. You think that's what happened? I think it's some kind of joke. And I think it was supposed to be a distraction. And I think it was effective. Okay. I, th- I, I really do. This is the second, um, Florence, I mean, excuse me, Olivia Wilde was also like, I'm not going to comment on internet rumors. Like, you know, this is classic, like coming after the reporters or whatever and like baseless mm-hmm. dribble. And it's like, you're welcome. This story has changed. So yeah. con- con- congrats, everyone. Um, I'm really excited about Olivia Wilde's Vanity Fair profile that she sat for, which is coming out. Um, can't imagine that's going to go well. So I can't wait. <laughs> it's still two and a half weeks till this movie comes out. Yeah. Maybe longer. But the yeah. I also so, like subscribed to Vanity Fair for $8 for a year just so I would okay. always have access to their online archives. So like okay. it arrives in the mail every month and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll read this. So I will when the Olivia Wilde one comes. <laughs> uh, one other note from Venice and then we're going to do a semi-speed round of things we missed over the last six months. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Brendan Fraser. I mean, I'm looking forward to the whale. Brendan Fraser cried in a notably long ovation, but he deserves it. Uh, mm-hmm. Amanda, we did School Ties on the Rewatchables recently. Juliet, I listened. Which led me to reread Zach Barron's profile of Brendan Fraser. And the man is a deeply feeling man who's been through a lot. And I'm happy for him. I can't wait to see this yeah. movie. 
I am rooting for him. We just did a predictions podcast for Oscar season on the big picture because FYI, Oscar season started, even though it's over six months from now. Um, I definitely think Brendan Fraser will be nominated, which is great. And I think that the reception at Venice for this Darren Aronofsky film. Are you a Darren Aronofsky fan? Juliet? Absolutely not. Only as a joke. Okay. Like I look forward, I look forward to his press hijinks, but sure. Like, yeah. Don't we all? I mean, I think his- I'm. I'm mostly with you. And I would say the movie itself got sort of mixed reviews, but it seems like this will definitely be an awards run for Brandon Fraser. And I I think he's deserving. I'm very excited about it. A lovely man. Me too. Um, It's really excited for Mallory Rubin and me because we love The Affair and he had an insane role in season three of The Affair. I forgot about that. Yeah. He plays I have to be honest, if we can just circle back to school ties for a second. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't know School Ties was that big a movie for you. Uh, it's just like foundational. I mean, yeah, I, I foundational <laughs> is not the word I would have used. I mean, obviously, School Ties was important to all of us. It introduced me to all of those guys. Of course, to the world. Yeah. Yeah. But you really you and Mallory both had a I mean, I understand you prepare for your podcasts. I'm not trying to like <laughs> diminish the hard work that you do, but. I could tell that it also meant a lot to you. And I just, I didn't know. I love learning new things about you. That's really nice. Um, the sweaters of Rip Van Kelt were so uh-huh. overwhelming. And like, as I think about him, it makes me giddy. So there's that too. Okay. That's great. <laughs> All right, everybody. Amanda's been out. We didn't do jam session. We covered some of these things. We texted about all of these things, which is how I put together this outline by reviewing the links and photos we've shared over the last six months. And we are going to dig into some really big things that we would have covered on jam session. And we'll go as fast as we can through some of them. Some just need to be mentioned. Don't really need to be discussed, but it's just sort of like a, Hey, check this out. But some of them really need to be discussed. And of course we need to begin with the wedding that occurred on the imitation plantation of Ben Affleck a few weeks ago in Georgia, where Mrs. Jennifer Lynn Affleck wed Ben Geza Affleck in front of friends and family, all clad in white, um, with just absolutely appalling wooden signs down the aisle. And Amanda, what do you think? Well, we haven't spoken on a microphone since they actually got married. And this yeah. is actually the second wedding this summer. I missed Correct. the first, the Vegas wedding, which is I texted you at the time. I like that for them. Okay. I like, I actually, I liked, I was like, oh, this is sweet. Um, I, uh, and charming and understated. Sort I, had of, even, I had misgivings about it at the time, though. I understand your point. As more information came out, I resented it more and more. I resented, I was mad at myself for ever thinking Jennifer Lopez did anything spontaneously. I was mad at myself for believing like, you know, that it just kind of like happened. Mm-hmm. I just felt, I just felt frustration because it became clear then when they all went to Paris right after that, like, Oh, a lot of stuff was actually planned and they just sort of like fit this in and nothing spontaneous in Jennifer Lopez's world. There's nothing wrong with that, but they, pres- but the way that it was positioned in the, p- the press made it seem that way. And so then, then I really, my, t- my personal tide started to turn. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. 
That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, as you made that case, I kind of went with you on it. Mm-hmm. And I like, I agree with you. I think what I liked about the Vegas wedding was that, I mean, it, clearly it was intentional and they like put some thought into it, but I thought it was like a good cap to the narrative of, you know, being married all these years later and they, you know, borrowed clothes or used old clothes and were just not making a huge to-do of it. It was all about like these two people found each other again. Can you believe it? And I just like, yeah, I thought nice. that that was, that was like a good, it's nice. It's a good ending to the movie. Exactly. You're right. We should have seen the other one coming. And I just. I should have been prepared for every aesthetic decision. I, I no, I don't think you can and prepare I was not for, prepared. I don't think you could potentially I don't think you could possibly anticipate that for Jennifer Lopez's giant wedding, she selects Ray Dunn for Target aesthetic for her wedding. It is shocking. It is the most shocking thing to happen this summer in the celebrity world. What is the theory? What What is the I, explanation? I have, seen none. I have seen no one touch it because all the photos that have been released have been official. So there's a real pay for play going on here. Okay. So I have not seen anyone touch why they had these inane clearance aisle wouldn't probably fake wooden signs down the aisle, like giving like aphorisms about love. I mean, it's so embarrassing. It's not even cringe. It's just like I have melted into a puddle and can never get over this. It's awful. There were so many of them. I mean, we <laughs> thought it was bad the like the weekend and the first photos. And it seemed like there were, you know, kind of like this way to the wedding photos, but purchased as target at Target with, you know, like love, you know, conquers all type messaging and a terrible script. Um, and my theory at the time was, because I was just trying to make sense of it because I, I, this is great content and I love these people and I've had so much fun following this story. And I was like, this is great. They're giving us what we need. So maybe you know, what's happening here is that they let their five children do some of the decorations mm. and and to like participate in the ceremony. And so the kids picked like a few signs and they, they got put up and that's like a nice way to incorporate the kids. 
Um, You know, child of divorce, always thinking from all the angles. The more photos we've gotten, the more signs there are. And the photo of Jen and Ben walking down the aisle, married for the second time on the second go round, shows like the money shot shows photos, signs like on every aisle. They're everywhere. They were central to the decor of this wedding. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, I don't really know what to say about it because it's so fucking shocking and weird. People have different aesthetic tastes. People find different things moving. You know, all it takes is one look at Pinterest to understand the world is a rich tapestry. But there is something about this, to your point, about like, by the way, Target's wonderful. I go there once a week and um, it's been a real refuge for me in the past few months, a place of air conditioning and, (laughs) you know, all the things that I need. Um, But you would think with all of the expense and effort gone to for this wedding that they would want to make the wedding look aesthetically more exclusive and, you know, not accessible in the way that Target is, which is one of the great things about Target. Like they're spending a lot of money. They're trying to make it a fancy thing. And then suddenly it looks uh, not that. They spent so much money on the florals and then they have a love is patient sign underneath them and next to them. It's like so horrific. I I don't understand. (laughs) I'm very upset about it. Also, everything is just so classy and unique and, and like specific. And this is the opposite of that. Like, I think that's what's so shocking to me is it seems so generic. It's like, it's like they clicked on a a sponsored ad on Instagram that takes you to someone's Etsy page. It's really weird. Yeah. It doesn't look custom. It doesn't look like specific to them. No, not at all. And to the point about their kids, I don't think it seems specific to their kids. Like we've now seen a million photos of four or five. The one we haven't seen a lot of is um, Max, Mm -hmm. J-Lo's son. but whatever. Um, but we've seen a lot of pictures of Emmy and Serafina and Samuel and Violet. And this doesn't seem like any of their styles, in fact. And I have to say one of my favorite things about this relationship now is it seems like Serafina and Emmy have like a really sweet relationship, but they're like holding hands in Paris and like just seem like they could really be good friends. And they were wearing um, similar suits to the wedding itself. And like, it also seems like all of the kids really get to have their own style. Like, uh, Violet was in a ball gown and they were like, they got to, and then the other four kids chose different suits they wanted to wear. And like, I really like that. And I think it's really cool that their kids get to express themselves in this like really choreographed moment. But I just don't understand where this came from. I'm never going to get over it, Amanda. <laughs> I, it's inexplicable. Were you able to watch the video of JLo serenading? Uh, Unfortunately, ben? I was. I wish I hadn't seen it. I, as you know, do not like live singing. That has not changed uh, since we last met on this podcast. And I couldn't get through it. I, I couldn't. I hit click. I saw some of the footage. I said, no, thank you. Can you imagine being in that room, in that tent, I guess? No. However, I will say this. That is very true to the JLo that I saw in halftime. The JLo yes. doc, so-called doc on Netflix. That is very oh, true. Are you, are you negative on halftime? Um, no, I liked it, but I wouldn't call it a documentary. Um, sure, though, unintentionally documents a lot. 
that yes. I don't think it or Jennifer Lopez expected. Jody and I discussed this. I assume she thought she would be nominated for an Oscar and wanted to film all of that. And then yeah. it, she wasn't. And then she had to cut out A-Rod and et cetera, et cetera. But then I'll never forget the footage of Jennifer Lopez not winning the Golden Globe mm. and clearly visibly being uh very disappointed and her team being heartbroken and the Golden Globes in particular, I mean, especially given, you know, their history and recent events where they've been dismantled for being a like racist pay for play organization, but they've never been taken seriously. And, and we always make jokes about them. And I always assumed that everyone made jokes about them. And then to watch Jennifer Lopez be crushed that she didn't actually win a Golden Globe was in some ways like the realest look at, celebrity that I've seen in some time. Well, I think this, yeah. I mean, I think everything about halftime was like a really transparent look into the crafting of image, um, mm-hmm. both positive, negative ways, but it's really true to who she is. So I guess like yeah. m- my defense of this performance is I celebrate JLo for being her utmost self yes. a You're lot totally of the time. Right. And she continued to do that at her wedding. So while I did not enjoy it, I guess like <laughs> this is their relationship and this is who she is. And I celebrate her most of the time. So I feel like I should just be like, good job on being yourself at your own wedding. <laughs> I completely agree with you. And I'm glad you made the distinction. That's JLo being JLo. And I just, I, it made me personally a little awkward, but it's, yeah. it's what they should be doing. And also it's uh, like a real indication to me. Well, he seemed to be enjoying it. But like, I guess it's just an indication to me that like she is who she is. Like, this is not bullshit. And like, yeah. you like it or you don't. And I really admire her. So though I find her wedding decor appalling, I remain a Jennifer Lopez stan. So there's that. Can we talk about what Jennifer Garner was doing during the wedding? I'm so glad you mentioned it. Where was she, Amanda? She was at Sam's Club. She was at Sam's Club in West Virginia with her boyfriend, whose name I still don't really know. And John, I think John, yeah, John, 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 a lawyer, John, John, lawyer. I thought he was an investor, maybe both. Um, this is everyone just being themselves to a T and I love it. It's great. Are you a Sam's club person or a Costco person? Uh, neither. I've only been to Costco under the use of, um, David Jacoby's family's card Mm -hmm. and I've been under 10 times. So it's not really in my world. Okay. But I actually went this weekend to Costco under at cool. least my mother's card. I found it overwhelming. Um, I don't usually want to have... buy in bulk. Like I'm not, I don't have kids. I don't have a basement. Yeah. So that's why I, I went to check out the diaper selection and they didn't carry the the diapers that we prefer. So I'm brand loyal on that, <laughs> I guess. Um, that's one of my updates for you guys. And, I, but I, it was, a, there was a lot going on. It was very um, overwhelming. Most of my trips to Target have been for um, pre like hosting parties at my old house in LA to buy like pigs okay. in a blanket. So that Target's good experience. not. Oh, Costco or sorry, Costco, Costco. Okay, I was gonna Target, say I, I thought that. Yeah, I was like, I Target's a part of your life. I know it is. Yes, I love Target. I got my first car when I was living in San Francisco because I was like, I think I'll be happy if I can move to if I can. Excuse me. I think I'll be happy if I can drive to Target. Mm-hmm. So I got a car. That's great. <laughs> it was a Nissan Versa. Next. Other items we missed. Mm-hmm. Architectural Digest kept on being itself. There were two in particular that we didn't discuss that I wish we had. One, yeah. this is number this is number two on the list. Runner up. Yeah. Deanna Miller's Thatch Roof Historical Home outside of London in yes. England is one yeah. of the most 
surprising architectural digest videos I've ever seen. It has a thatch roof and it's an old house, which means that A, she can't make a lot of changes to it because it's a landmark and it's protected by the government of the United Kingdom. Sure. And two, the the roof is really low and it's like a really awkward house to live in. And it's so weird. It's like she lives in, lives in the Shire in Frodo Baggins' like amped house. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. it blew me away. (laughs) Um, Number one, of course. Yeah. Nancy Myers. Go inside her home recently. Updated by designer. Recently updated home. Yeah. Mark D. Sykes, whose stuff is on sale. Anthropology living right now. If you want some of that Nancy Myers aesthetic. I know because I spent a long time in their sale over the last few weeks. Um, Amanda, I have a controversial statement. Mm -hmm. I was underwhelmed. It was, it was spare is what I would say. And it was trying to be slightly more designy. And if she wants to do that, I mean, you know. It has, Nancy Myers, live in the home that you want. But I agree with you that it didn't have the warmth of some of the other well, renovations. It didn't have the warmth of some of her best cinematic kitchens. Like yeah. it, di- it didn't have the warmth of um, something's got to give where you can just see Frances McDormand, Diane Keaton, like hanging out with Amanda Peet right. around the island. Right. Didn't didn't have the the touches of Meryl Streep's amazing farmhouse kitchen. And it's complicated. And it just felt like very, it was just like a little bit too much of what we would have expected from a Nancy Myers house. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. Also, I will say I've been to a few Mark D. Sykes designed homes. And while it's a great aesthetic, it doesn't have a lot of variation. So yeah, it was a little more on trend Mm -hmm. than I wanted Nancy to be. And this is not her fault or even Mark D. Sykes's fault entirely, but it's a little more the Instagramization of the world where Mm -hmm. once you're inundated with more of these images and we talk more and more about architectural digest and um, there just becomes a visual language that is really consistent, you know, for restaurants. And then there's a different one for homes and there's a different one for millennials. And you, you know, become very familiar with the certain earmarks because you see them all of the time. And so those items then become sort of Instagrammy for lack of a better word or just or trendy and you can't like unsee like there's a certain shape of mirror right now that my husband has trying to uh, like Ben has been trying to convince me to get for our house it's that kind of like rounded rejuvenation-y style Mm -hmm. mirror you know what I'm talking about and I just don't want it because I've seen it everywhere and I don't want that I want Nancy to be a leader Nancy, I keep doing first names like we're friends. Um, I'd love to be friends with Nancy Myers. But I want her to have that cinematic vision that you were referencing and to be a leader and not be on trend. Yeah, sort of. totally. And I, I think I'm just sick of everything that's like coastal California farmhouse. Well, and this is the other thing is that then I understand why she wants to do it because the internet is now trying to recreate Nancy Myers. We didn't do coastal grandma because I was gone. And I'm just like, I was very annoyed because I need the 20 year olds to leave something for me. You know, like I am coastal grandma. Like I, I, yeah. Like that's just who I am. We've been wearing stripes for years. Like, you know, most of the world. Yeah. And like, and just like, you know, I'd like to go to sleep early and, and read in a completely unironic way. So (laughs) if this is who we are, please don't make it a trend. 
Right. But I but then I feel self-conscious when I'm wearing things that fit under close with grandma, plus things get sold out. And I'm like, come on. Like, I know. Just do something else on TikTok. Anyway. Agreed. I was the thing about the Nancy Myers Architectural Digest that I really enjoyed was that it brought a community back together. You and I <laughs> talked about it, um, but I heard from so many people in my life that I really hadn't heard from in a while. And I that was lovely. And I loved hearing from everyone. And I hope we can do that again soon. Um, I will say the best piece of Nancy Myers content came within the last week. So I'm just going to read uh, an Instagram caption to you from a post that she made on uh, four days ago. It is a video, so you can check it out. You can tell she's definitely not um, a Gen Z because it is not a real, but it is a video from her daughter Annie's wedding. And here mm. is the quotation. At Han Zimmer, rehearsing at my house the day before my daughter Annie's wedding. <laughs> I still can't believe he played Pachelbel for us as Annie and Robbie walked down the aisle. September 2nd, 2012. Heart emoji. Also that they did Pachelbel, which is uh, what Annie in Father of the Bride walks down the aisle to at the end of Father of the Bride. Yeah. I mean, not that like Pachelbel canon is a, you know, new thing to play at a wedding, but um, that's pretty great. It's uh, so funny. It is so fucking funny. How much really do you think he good. did it for as a favor or did they pay? Like, that's insane. Probably as a favor because I, presumably they're friends after he did the score for your beloved holiday and she yeah. made a whole character based on him. And I think that was about uh, that the other same year. people seem to like and you like as well. You at least like the movie. Well, I love the movie. Jack Black's characters. Medium I know. We me. got in trouble the last time we talked about that. Jack Black stands <laughs> need to stand down. This stand is not a down. space for you. <laughs> All right. Next topic that we would have really gone deep on. Wagatha Christie concluded without, not without some dramatic uh, court happenings beforehand. It was a trial that included the North Irish Sea, a <laughs> cell phone at the bottom of it, WhatsApp, and a lot of... Um, tears in court between Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy. You might recall from two years ago that Colleen Rooney set a trap on Instagram to expose whoever in her life was snitching about her to the sun. And she determined on her own that it was Rebecca Vardy. Rebecca Vardy refuted this and then sued Colleen Rooney for defamation, which the laws are different in England. Look it up. (laughs) Colleen Rooney won. (laughs) Rebecca Vardy has done a lot of damning things via her phone, like said a lot of damning things that um, made her case not too strong, but um, (laughs) not too strong. What a time this was. (laughs) Apex Mountain for the North Sea to borrow from rewatchables. I think it's it's definitely, yeah, I think it's also definitely Apex Mountain for people throwing phones into water to avoid uh, litigation. Yeah. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully, but really funny really funny. Um, I, I think Rebecca Vardy plans to appeal. I don't know how that works okay. in the United Kingdom, Great. but um, okay. I remember where I was when I texted you about this. I was crossing the street and we were happy. <laughs> we were happy for Colleen. We are. I am happy for her. <laughs> okay, next. Sophia Bush's wedding. This was covered in Vogue. You probably missed it. It was mid-July, peak summer. Sophia Bush got married to a guy. Don't remember his name. They got married in Oklahoma near Tulsa so they could bring attention to the Greenwood Massacre. Good intention. Absolutely awful execution. Just unbelievably um, over the top, 
sort of like became the wedding version of like trauma tourism and it's not even your Mm -hmm. own trauma and there's no self-consciousness to it and I encourage you to seek it out in Vogue. It is astonishing. If you need 20 minutes because that is how much coverage it got in Vogue, by the way, it will take up 20 minutes of your time, the, the, the article and the related slideshow. Uh, just to, to look and be bewildered, I, that's an opportunity that awaits for you. I do not understand any of the decisions that were made. Nor I, nor I. It's, it was astonishing. Amanda and I were lucky enough to be hanging out on that day, so we were able to discuss it in real time. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Those were wonderful fried clams. Yeah. Next, Britney has been freed. Amanda, how are you feeling about Britney Spears since the conservatorship ended? I'm thrilled with the decision to end the conservatorship and happy for her. And I, I really felt with her for her, um, for her excitement for her pregnancy and then the loss of the pregnancy and having to share that in front of everyone that is, um, I was just vulnerable and sad. And so she's going through a lot in public and it seems like to some extent that's her choice. And to the extent that it's her choice, I really genuinely want the best for her. We're talking right now as the Kevin Federline saga and the saga with her sons goes on. And that is just, very sad. It's just like very sad. And to me, so much of it is the Brittany gets covered and people want to read about her. And so it's, we're all playing a role in it and I feel bad about it. And I always go back to leave Brittany alone. Um, but really leave Brittany alone is what I, is what I feel. Leave Brittany alone. I agree. But I also feel concerned about Brittany Spears. So, um, Today, Kevin Federline said that Jamie Spears saved her life. So he's definitely, you know, joining this uh, press parade. It's terrible. But um, it's all just really horrible to watch. Like nothing is, it's the opposite of Harry Styles not spitting on Chris Pine. It's like there is nothing funny or fun about this. And the fact that like there's now even more access to Britney Spears, but we we actually have the same amount of information about like what's going on in her day-to-day life is just... Mm -hmm really um, concerning. So in a non-cynical way, we wish her the best. Let's move on. In lighter news, Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson dated mm-hmm. and, and they broke Pass. up. Next. I just want to say, will this be the last time he gets a premature tattoo? I mean, like, what's he doing? <laughs> what is I he doing? <laughs> this, to me, this films like, feels like a really easy, especially now that he and Kim are done and whatever was going on with the Kanye Kim Pete coverage again was like unsettling and and I can pass on that. He's he's for the next generation, Juliet. We're Not done. For us, yeah. We can say thank you. We can say those are your own issues to work through and why you guys are attracted to him and what the appeal is and what's with the tattoos. It's just not for us to say. I feel like if I saw him in person, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Like, I, I don't get it in pictures, but I feel like if I saw him in person, I'd be like, okay, I understand. He's so, very tall. And tall, I'm sure he's confident. I'm sure he's like approachable, but like, you know, he's dated all the most famous women. So anyway, next, not me. Mm-hmm. one I threw on the rundown that I bet you didn't see coming. Millie yeah, Bobby I don't Brown, know anything about this. Millie Bobby Brown had, had a run around the release of Stranger Things, both in May and July. 
P.S. Not sure if we discussed this at the time. I really thought this was the last season of Stranger Things. So I was like, cool, I'm going to watch. And then I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, it's not over. So I was really confused. <laughs> I genuinely thought it was over until just a minute ago. Yeah, I know. There's another Today season. I learned that Stranger Things is still going. Yeah. And so to that end, Millie Bobby Brown and kind of Noah Schnapp, but really Millie Bobby Brown. And the two of them are tight. And I think that they're like their own click from the Stranger Things cast. Um, she complained about the size of the cast and there's like too many people in it, which is like definitely something that many people feel. And like in the watch in, in watching this season of stranger things was definitely evident because no one spent all the time together. But this reminded me of Catherine Heigl and how she criticized Grey's anatomy, like, but you know, shortly into her run and then, you know, precipitously fell off in her career. And I just feel like Millie Bobby Brown's like, I know she's like the most popular person, everyone under 20, but I don't think you should, you know, criticize the show that made you. It's like really bad form. I just think that's pretty weird. Also, she's dating Jake Bon Jovi, which I think is hilarious. Is she really? Yeah. I didn't know that either. I have designated Stranger Things as something that's for the next generation. And I enjoyed it. I support them. I never even got into the first season, but you know, that's like sort of not not my bag. It's not for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my bag. And that's fine. Other people can have nice things. It does seem like she, um, is possibly biting the hand that feeds her a little bit, especially since she has like another franchise with Netflix. Enola Holmes, um, yeah. But, you know, also maybe she's so popular that she can, you know, make these complaints in public and have them addressed. Yeah, this is the first summer I felt like I was like paying attention to um, like dip- to people's different uh, photo shoots and like their endorsements and whatnot, endorsements and whatnot. And I know that she has some, but I will just say like when I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, who had a really great photo shoot this summer? Zendaya and Anne Hathaway for Valentino. Shit, do they look good? I think that was at Cannes. Um, it just looked amazing. Anyway. They did look remarkable at Cannes. Yeah. Anne Hathaway's style lately has been amazing. Zendaya is obviously mm-hmm. like, you know, completely singular and also looks yes. great. Rihanna had a baby. Congrats to Rihanna and ASAP Rocky. I'm a little concerned about them and his um, yes, legal situation, well. but I hope that they're enjoying parenthood and doing great. Maybe she can be a mom friend for you, Amanda. I would love that. I, are the rumors that she had a boy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I I would be friend with the, friends with Rihanna and her baby, no matter boy or girl, um, but we could bond over that possibly. Uh, if If she needs it, I'm available. Great. And at this point in the podcast, we are transitioning to book news. Yes. Three segments of book news, more or less. Um, actually, oh, wait, I had I added one non book news thing. Can we yeah. do it really fast? Yes. So Serena Williams retired uh, and she retired on the cover of Vogue. And this was a long time coming yeah. in terms of Serena moving away from tennis. Um, she obviously had a child, Olympia, and that <laughs> affects your physical uh, experience. And so um, but also she's wanted to do other things. And as a just really devoted Serena fan. I knew it was coming and had even, you know, she had separated herself somewhat from the game. So I had separated myself a little bit from expecting a lot from her. Yeah. Which is what she wanted. And thought I was in an okay place with it. And then she did the cover story in Vogue, which I was very moved by. And I, once she finally accepted I, I found it really emotional and I'm very grateful and I, and I love Serena and I thought the Vogue piece was great. Um, and I really enjoyed the week that she had at the U S open and go Serena. That's all. 
she's the definition of a superstar across all fields of performance, athletic, mm-hmm. dramatic, that you definitely take for granted. You're just like, yes. you're just like, you know, expect greatness. She's a constant, like she's the only really person in our lifetime. So I think is the same as LeBron. Um, and they're both so amazing. But like when you go back and you watch old highlights, you're like, Oh, right. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, have a great life, Serena. I know you'll do a lot more. Um, all right. On to book news. Number one, the pile of papers by Tina Brown came out in May. Amanda read it, sent me excerpts. And then I listened mm-hmm. to it. It's my very first audiobook, And I had a great time. Tina Brown read it to me. Amanda, what was the number one thing you learned from the Palace Papers? It's been a while. Okay, well, um, I'll tell you mine. Yeah. This is confirmation bias, really. I'm not sure I completely learned it. But I would say, like, Prince Charles is, like, a worse person than I really gave him credit for and is perfectly captured by Josh O'Connor in The Crown. And, like, yeah. I, like, hate Prince Charles. Also... I think Camilla is really well captured in The Crown and yes. Emerald Fennell does a great job. And I, I found the book devotes a lot of time to Camilla and Charles, like way more than I was expecting. And it's, it's actually really, really fascinating. Yeah, so it becomes pretty clear both in the structure of the book and then in Tina Brown's 15 literally page acknowledgements. Um, God bless her. I love her so much. That the book was more or less finished and then Harry and Meghan gave their Oprah interview and she and obviously that opened up a whole new subject and so she redid a lot of the book but so I suspect that Charles and Camilla were a lot more central Mm -hmm. in the book uh, beforehand and that's not to say I mean Tina Brown's very savvy so I think Meghan and Harry being such superstars they also would have been a major major part of it but I think chronologically they were probably tail end and and now they're a substantial part of the book. Uh, to me, the thing that was the most interesting, I, I was trying to figure out the sources mm. um, and who spoke and kind of how things were getting slanted. And it seems to me that if people in Prince William's camp did not officially participate, which, you know, of course, no one on the record participates, but if people from Kensington Palace did not really actively participate, then there were a lot of, uh, you know, unofficial, uh, there was a lot of unofficial cooperation because that is a very pro William and Kate book, uh, in a way that seems to me it could only have happened with access. Yeah, I, I agree. I also think that the stuff about Andrew, um, Mm -hmm. is explicit. I also found that, by the end, there's basically two chapters about Andrew. One of them is is in name about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. I felt like the book really gave a lot of agency to Ghislaine Maxwell. Maybe that's potentially because she's still alive. But I I thought that they're actually I I think in a way it was soft on Andrew. I mean it it made him and mm-hmm. the Duchess of York uh, Fergie seem like grifters, which I think they are. But I think it could have gotten a lot harder on him. And I think that like you could see maybe some of the information trading that happened as a result. And that's why it was like that. But I, I have to say, I actually found like the lack of interrogation into like Epstein and Prince Andrew's agency sure. to be like sort of surprising because it goes so hard on Glenn Maxwell. Again, maybe it's because she, there's more sources who were able and willing to talk about her. Um, but I thought that was really weird. Uh, right. I, it, it does also seem like Tina Brown herself has more access yeah. to Ghislaine 
because, you know, she was a New Tina Brown was operating in the New York world in a media power sphere in the 80s and 90s when uh, and, and 2000s in a different way when a lot of this was happening. So, no, I I, I think that that's a legitimate uh, observation. I, I did also just read like a certain, you know, rightful disgust with the 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 topic that manifests is like not really wanting to deal with it almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, which on the one hand I get on the other hand, you're writing a book about these people. So yeah, you chose this bed. Yeah. Um, I didn't really learn much about Megan and Harry. I think that's because they've been co- covered so much in the last five years. The most impactful anecdote she told, and I think this made it into the press. So perhaps you read about it already was princess Diana going out for lunch with Pierce Morgan and bringing Prince William with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And Amanda, uh, on Amanda's recommendation, I also read the Diana Chronicle, or the such a call, the Diana Chronicles. Um, Mm -hmm. Man, this Tina Brown did not fall for the charm of Diana Spencer. Uh, It's interesting. I think she makes, I I think she's, the book seems much more um, ponderous about Megan and a lot more accusatory about Diana, in my opinion. But um and and Harry by extension. This is not a book that is uh very sympathetic to Harry. Yeah. It's worth it's worth reading. And if you want to get into audiobooks, Tina Brown and her beautiful Queen's English will read it to you. So I recommend yeah, it. Yeah, and she and she has a way. I mean, the pacing of it, I that I need to reread it again because I read all of her books multiple times. It I had so much fun. I threw my own book party for that book <laughs> and I went on the day it was released and and bought a copy. And, you know, stole as much time as I could to read it as quickly as possible. I think if the reporting is softer in spots just because of the amount of time she had to do it, I like the the tone and the pacing and the the world that Tina Brown creates is singular yeah. uh, and very entertaining, I think. It's worth checking out. I the. The introduction, which I screenshotted this and sent to you and to everyone I know, you know, everyone who would indulge me, where it's the, she quotes Megan in the Oprah interview saying, you know, I didn't do a lot of research about the royal family. <laughs> Enter paragraph break. Well, I did. I just, <laughs> God bless you, Tina Brown. God bless. It's a, it's a really good experience. So mm-hmm. it's a, check it out. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to get into some, po- some more book racks, but first. I want to talk about Emily Henry. She's ubiquitous. Emily Henry has written three books. I've read all of them. Have you read any? I read Book Lovers on your, would you call it a recommendation? On your mention, on your, this is an area of interest. And I'm interested in what you're interested in. So I did read it. That's so nice, Amanda. Um, Cool. Well, great. Well, you're going to talk about that because that seems to be like the book of the summer based on my Mm -hmm. tour of bookstores in the Northeast. Um, she also wrote Beach Read, which I think is by far her best book. And The People Me Meet, Meet on Vacation is probably probably her worst book. But Emily Henry is like, her. she's written three books in three years. Beach Read was her first book. I think she's really big on TikTok. And yes. every bookstore I went into, Book Lovers is in the window and up front. I was two weeks ago or a week ago in a bookstore where like someone engaged. Someone was like, who read Book Lovers here? And then I, I was like, one of it was like me and like six women above 60 and I was like I have and she's like should I read it and then we like talked about Emily Henry for a while and she's like how does it compare to Beach Read how does it compare to people we meet on vacation like people are really really reading Emily Henry and I I fear 
this is the future of the rom-com. And while I liked Beach Read and I enjoyed it, I'm afraid that this art form we really love is being relegated to this version of it. Love everything that you're saying here. And I have a response and um, just a, a, a declaration, okay. I think, of, of intention for okay. both of us. So first of all, yes, I too have seen it everywhere. Um, and including like my local bookstore of Roman's wonderful bookstore in Pasadena, where I just, there's always seems to be someone there buying one of her books and they have a special book talk section because you know, they're a business and they got to do right. what they got to do. And all of the books are in there. So it does seem to be a big book talk thing. These, or I can only speak to book lovers, which I read. Um, book lovers is not a romantic comedy. Okay. Book Lovers is a romance novel. Okay. And there is a difference. There is a structural difference and also a as a, a like a content and tone difference that to me I really enjoy romantic com- comedies and I read Book Lovers in 2 days. Like Sam, who am I? I and I you know wanted to go back to it. I wanted to find out what happened. I think that she certainly like created that town and that world and was also commenting on a lot of the tropes of her own books and things that we read like and the the world that she moves in as a author you know very smartly and it was specific and evocative and I knew where I was and I knew who these people were it was also just it went on and on and on of them being like I I love you, but I can't. And I love you, but I can't. But there's no <laughs> tension. I, to me, in a romance novel, which is a wildly successful genre that a lot of people love. So I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's not for me because there's no tension. They, they, are they going to get together or not? And even, okay, and that's not fair. In a romantic comedy, you also know that they're not going to get together, but there's opposition on. And and real obstacles until the end. And in a romance level, well, I guess there's opposition to feelings until the end. They don't admit the feelings until the end. In a romance novel, they know the feelings. Rom-coms also all don't, feelings. Have, don't really have sex scenes. And Emily Henry books have steamy sex scenes because they're romance novels. Well, are they steamy is a different question. But Book they're level, trying I mean, to be. Beach Reads is pretty good. The rest. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's just it's like feelings stakes. Yeah. But the feelings are already are admitted within the first 10 minutes of or, or 10 pages of the book. So to me, I just, I get impatient. Yeah. I also think that like books about the world of publishing is like bad for publishing, similar to like how, you know, anything that's too meta, I think is like bad for an industry. Um, I think you, you've raised a point that I think is important for me. It's something that I've been feeling, but haven't been able to say, which is that, Romance novels were a real dalliance for me during COVID. And I think mm-hmm. I'm done. I think that's okay. like my work here is done. So <laughs> I don't know though, but I just, Emily Henry is so popular. And then I read the FAQ on her website and it's basically all like, sorry, I can't give you a blurb. Sorry. I can't give you advice. Sorry. I'm busy. I'm just like, okay, we get it. <laughs> I mean, she is writing novels <laughs> a book a year, at a rapid yeah. clip. Yeah. I, I thought that as far as romance novels go, you know, it was a recognizable structure in a world 
that I mostly liked. I didn't mind the world and I don't mind meta-ness as much as most people. I like a little wink. I think some people see it as kind of a crutch. And uh, as previously discussed, uh, the emotions make me uncomfortable. So I appreciate the crutch. So I liked the world. It's the structure to me that, and this is true of really any genre, but I, I guess that particular genre I'm not as interested in. Um, I think it made me nervous because there was a few moments where I was like, this is really perceptive. And I was like, good point. And then there were so many details that I could pick from like Sweet Home Alabama, When Harry mm-hmm. Met Sally, The mm-hmm. Holiday. Like there's just so many different things that were so familiar. And I was like, oh no. And so, but some of them were explicit. Yes. But they were also really like the broadest specific, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like I think When Harry Met Sally is a reference, but it's just like, I think Titanic's another reference. It's, you know, like the three most popular things, which I thought felt a little, I could feel myself being mass marketed to, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yes, and I which think, also feels bad. <laughs> yes, because I, let's, let's be, in, let's be real. I definitely want to be marketed to, and I want references and things that make me, that I understand and, and elicit a reaction in me and make me feel like, oh, this is for me. But you don't want to, you want to feel like you alone are finding something or something that's been made for you. You don't want to feel it being marketed to everyone at the same time. And this really felt like, let me just sweep as many people as possible in on this. And I don't know why I'm saying that. Like it's a bad thing because ultimately it's good that books are successful. Yeah. Uh, You and this is a pro book podcast. (laughs) Um, I think it just didn't feel. Didn't feel like um, genuine. I don't know. I don't know. It felt a little disposable to me. Agreed. Um, All right. I just felt we needed to acknowledge Emily Henry. She's all around us. Let's move on to to books we enjoyed. You go first, Amanda. Okay. Do do all three. We'll we'll, we'll go quick. Okay. The first is a a romance. or I don't know whether I would call it a romance, but it has a major romantic uh, plot aspect to it. It's called Love Barrage by Monica Ali. It was recommended to me by... My friend, Neil, who's a listener of this podcast and has been asking when it's going to come back. Hello, Neil. Thank you for Love Marriage. It was wonderful. I read it as uh, well. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I was a little bored by it. Okay. Well, what were you bored about? Like it had a lot more. It it created, a, it really vividly created a world yes, in a way that I felt like, yeah, like, you know, and it's, you know, Monica Lee, it's like has been nominated for the Booker Prize. She's yeah. like an actual, like it, it is literary. The writing is good. And Much higher level. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and it just has different characters who are developed and have different things going on. I mean, it's a novel, like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a real novel. Um, but I did think it had a romantic element. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that I was invested in and like no spoiler alert, but I was like a little bummed by the ending, but whatever. Me too, Amanda. Yeah. Too. Well, <laughs> sure. There we go. Okay. But, um, but, but I, but I like that. That's how it, I think that was right, but it, you know, I wanted it to be a romantic comedy. Anyway. I think I found the reveal to be like, yeah, of course we all knew this was coming. I think that was a little but bit. I was sort of excited. I was like, oh, yay. Um, but no, anyway. not th- Oh, not that reveal. Oh, the other reveal. Oh, I didn't know that was coming. Yeah, I I know what you're saying. Okay. Anyway, it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Good good idea. Next. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, oh, this is the Copenhagen trilogy by Tove Ditlevsen, which was like the most accomplished book that I have read (laughs) in the last six months. And this because my uh, sister-in-law, Ruthie, picked it up at the bookstore and was like, here, I think you'll like this. Um, 
this is not feel good, but it's really astonishing writing. Tove Ditlinson was a is a Danish poet and writer, and these are her. I guess they're they like they are memoirs, but you know they are also the work of a very intentional writer, and they are just astonishing as a document and also like really tough reading. I do believe that this is also the book that is being read by the main character in conversations with friends in conversations with friends, the Hulu show. Mm. Um, there is, a, it's a Tove Ditlinson book. I think that it's the Copenhagen trilogy because the new, anyway, um, cool. really, really good. And I didn't finish that Hulu show, but nor uh, did I, but you know, there it was. So think- I'm, I'm in the mix. You know, this reminds me, we talked about it back in December, or maybe it was even earlier, but I did follow through on my, I'm going to wait six to eight months to read Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I did. Yes. While you were out, while, while we were on our hiatus. Right. Um, I found it maddening, but fascinating. I, Same. it was, yeah. Read it also like in a day. Anyway, yeah. number three from you. Keep going. Oh, right. This is a shout out to your mother. So I discovered a <laughs> new, hi, Juliet's mom. Uh, I discovered a new mystery series. It's they're, they're written by Deborah Crombie, who is American, I believe, but has lived a lot oh. of her life in the UK. And so these are set in the UK. Um, the inspector Kincaid and Gemma. I don't remember Gemma's last name. I, I should remember them, but I don't know. She's got a detective pair in the UK and they solve crimes. Uh, that and, sounds great. And have, and have feelings. And I love them. They're have- really delightful. Not all of them are in print. So I have had to read some of them out of order, which I know your mom is going to be really upset about. I've done my best, but like you can't even get them on Amazon in order. So oh, no, but okay. I'm really enjoying them. All right. Great. Those are great. Yeah. Those are all great. Um, here are my three. Okay. The best. My favorite, my favorite reading experience of the year. I just want to mm-hmm. say I've, I've replaced, um, watching TV in the middle of the night with reading. This is a real growth. And it's, I think it's that's great. It's not for any like moral or like, su- or like superior reasons, but it's just sort of like the vibe I was feeling. So I've done a lot of reading in the middle of the night. My best reading experience of 2022 so far, can't speak highly enough. True Biz by Sarah Novich. I fucking loved it. It is a great, like it's literary, but not too literary. It is Sarah Novich. Sarah Novich is deaf. And this is a book about a deaf boarding school, its principal, its students, and deaf culture. And I learned so much about ASL and BSL and racism within sign language and um, the deaf community and the cochlear implants. And I, I just really loved this book. It's a campus novel. And I also learned a lot. So it was great. I I read this book on your recommendation and also really enjoyed it oh, and so learned glad. a lot. And I think, you know, I did learn a lot about ASL and BSL and the deaf community. And then it also does, in teaching you about those things, make you think about language yes, in different ways and totally. communication. And it, um, but without being ponderous, you it's know, also, yeah. as you or said, didactic. has characters and it is a yeah. novel. Yeah. It, a fantastic oh, recommendation. I didn't think I knew. I don't think I knew you read it. I'm yeah, so glad Julia, to hear that. Yeah. I, it took me a little while, but I got there. It was delightful. I'm so glad. It's really a pleasant read. Two, notes on your sudden disappearance. I wasn't sure when I first read this. I think it's by a woman named Sarah Epper. I really liked it. I've been thinking about it since. It's a good, it's kind of sad, but it's it's a it's a good book. I I, I think people should seek it out. So it's also literary. Okay. And finally, yeah. I saw this on my friend's Instagram and then I sought it out. My friend, Kate. Hello, Kate. Counterfeit by Kristen Chen, which 
I don't really know how to explain it. It's written um, in testimony, mostly in testimony given to a detective about um, two women um, smuggling counterfeit bags into America and then um, how they make money off of that. And it has like a lot of interesting uh, commentary on life of the upwardly mobile yuppie. And I had a great time. I'm reading it right now. Oh, also at your recommendation. Great. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it. It's it's extremely readable. Yes. Um, and also the the thing that you said, it is a testimonial in the second person, but it's like just barely that. You don't have to worry too much about format. It's just a good, um, it's a, a good, quick, interesting read. I think it's a debut novel and it feel, or if it's not, it's like an early novel. It feels very much like an idea that you had in your MFA program and saw through to the end. Right. And I, I mean that in a good way. But do, do they stick the landing? Well, you'll have to find out. Well, I know, but I told you I made my resolution, which is I got to I got to stop buying books and only reading 100 pages. So well, it's too late. I bought this one. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to see it through. OK, great. Well, those are my three recs. Um, okay. I just want to say my biggest reading accomplishment was I finally read a Jonathan Franzen book. I read Freedom by Jonathan Franzen my first wow. time. Um, I liked it. I you never into birds now. Um, you know, I think the birds were overhyped for me. I thought the birds were actually like an interesting gimmick. I will say I never wanted to hang out with Jonathan Franzen and I continue to feel that way, but I did enjoy this book. So there's that. Uh, I love reading Amanda. I'm so glad to have you back to discuss it on microphone. Thank you. I am as well. I also love talking with you about, uh, conspiracy videos (laughs) about celebrities only it's, it's a very narrow definition of the conspiracy videos I'm interested in watching. But uh, thank you to everyone in Venice for that uh, experience. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for producing this episode. We will be back on Mondays moving forward. This was formerly a Tuesday podcast, but we are going to do Mondays, hoping for more um, spitting videos every Sunday that we can comment on. So wish us luck with that. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>